we're glad you're here today. And I want to begin by asking you, how many of you are like me? You absolutely enjoy a good cup of coffee. Anybody? I'm noticing younger and younger children drinking coffee these days. Since Dunkin' Donuts is close by, I stop there most mornings and get some. It's pretty good. And um, I like coffee. Now, something that a lot of people like that I had never tasted until the first service this morning. Love hot coffee. Drink it every day, several cups. I had never tasted iced coffee until this morning. This is the second time. Better than I expected. How many of you like iced coffee? I understand y'all put a lot of different stuff in it if you want to, not just coffee with ice, but all kinds of flavors and other interesting things. This is becoming increasingly popular. This reason Dunkin' Donuts and McDonald's and Starbucks and restaurants are making millions of dollars selling iced coffee. Hot coffee, iced coffee. Hot coffee, iced coffee. Now, what do you think is in the middle? This is some coffee I bought at Dunkin' Donuts about 6 o'clock this morning. Got it all over my glasses. That worked out really well. You ever done that? You ever had a cup of coffee and uh, you set it down and you got busy reading or you sidetracked doing something and you came back and you picked up the cut and you, and you took a sip and it was so bad you spit it out because it was just room temperature now? Anybody ever done that like I just did? And, then, and that's usually what happens. It makes a mess. There's a passage in Revelation 3 and I invite you to open your Bible there where God says when it comes to you and your spiritual life, your passion for Him and the things of God, your walk daily with Jesus, that He he really wants you to be one of these two. He wants you to be like hot coffee. He wants you to be like iced coffee. What He doesn't want is for you to be like this, room temperature. Just kind of blah. Not hot, you're not cold, just room temperature. In fact, He goes so far as to say if in your passion for Him and your walk with Him and your spiritual life, your Christian life, you're like this middle one. You're just room temperature. That just like I spit that coffee out, that's what he wants to do with you. It, it, it just has a leaves a taste in his mouth that's not pleasant, and he just wants to spew you out. Literally in the Greek languages, he wants to vomit you out. That God would rather you be like hot coffee, cold winter day, snow on the ground, cup of hot coffee, cup of hot chocolate, just warms the soul. Hot July, August day here in South Carolina. You've been out working in the yard all day and you're sweaty and you're thirsty and you come in and you get something cold. Cold ice water, iced coffee. God wants you to be cold. God wants you to be hot. What God does not want you to be as a Christian is this one. He says there's no place for this in your life and in your relationship with Him. And I want us to look at what he says about that. These are some believers we're going to study this morning who lived in a very prosperous place. It was a good time economically and otherwise for them, kind of like us here in America. They had pretty much what they wanted. It was a group of believers, though, that also were under a lot of pressure to compromise their faith and not only say we're Christians and we're worshiping Jesus, but since 
most of the world was dominated by the Roman Empire and the emperor said he was a god and you had to pay homage to the emperor, you had to worship him. They were under pressure to worship Jesus and turn around and also practice worshiping this emperor. And so there was pressure pressure to compromise their, their walk with Christ. And apparently they had done it because God comes and says, hey, you're like this. You're not cold and you're not hot. You're like this middle coffee. Let's read what he says. Revelation 3. Stand with me as we read together, please. Starting in verse 14. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Jesus is speaking. He says to the angel, the church of Laodicea. The angel is a picture or a symbol and from chapter 1 of the pastor of the church. So he's saying to the preacher and to the church in Laodicea, which was a city in what today we know as modern Turkey, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation says this. Titles for Jesus. Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. I'll spew you out of my mouth. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. I'll just spit you out. It tastes bad. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. But you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you, Jesus says, to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Jesus then adds, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. Verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Now look at verse 22. Jesus ends by saying, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that the Holy Spirit in this hour take your living eternal word and speak to the deepest parts of our hearts and minds. Say those things we desperately need to hear. Convict us. Convict us. Convict us of sin, of indifference, and draw us closer to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The believers that Jesus is speaking to, that he says, you're like this middle coffee, your room temperature, you're lukewarm and it makes me want to spit you out of my mouth. I wish you were hot. I wish you were cold. Don't want you to be like this. He's talking about their spiritual life and something that will surprise some of you who've been in church all your life is that it's okay to be cold. Now that startles some of you because you think, all right, When you talk about cold, it means that you're cold spiritually and you're almost dead spiritually. And that makes sense in our American culture. But in the context of Revelation 3 and the people that he's talking to, that's not what it means. That being hot is okay. It's good. And being cold is okay. It's good. And I'm going to explain why in just a moment. The one that's not good, the one that's not okay, is for you to spiritually be room temperature, lukewarm, not have passion. Just you're there and that's it. I want you to be hot. I want you to be cold. 
Don't ever be that one, he says. Now, the reality is we've all been this one at some point. We've all been room temperature. There are some of you listening to me right now. This is where you are spiritually. You're room temperature this morning. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're right there. You're just, you're just here, and that's it, and you know it. Let me explain why these are good and this is bad and help you understand which one you are and how you can be either of these but not that because that's what God wants for you. These believers living in the city of Laodicea live in a city that's wealthy. It's a banking center similar to Charlotte. brings a lot of money to the citizens in that city, and everybody benefits from it. They had a booming economy. They, the city was located at the intersection of major highways going east and west, north and south, major trade routes. It was a textile center. It produced some of the most beautiful black wool that was used in people's clothing and in carpets sent around the world, and that brought money to that particular location. It was a, a place that had, a, that, that, that had one, some of the wealthiest families in Europe in the first century. In fact, we know from historical records their names are given. Buildings are identified. These wealthy families built. This city was so wealthy that in 60 A.D., a major earthquake struck Turkey, and it devastated most of the country, and cities were just laid waste, including Laodicea. Since Rome ruled them, Rome offered to help all of those cities rebuild, and the cities that gladly accepted the money. All the cities except Laodicea. Laodicea had a sense of self-sufficiency and a, self of, a sense of independence, and they were very, very wealthy. And, and, and even though they were controlled by Rome, they liked the fact that they had enough resources to have some independence. And so they politely declined Rome's assistance to rebuild their city, and they used their own money and totally rebuilt the devastated city. That's a sign of great wealth. Most countries in the world today, if an earthquake or a natural disaster strikes, they need help from the outside to rebuild. America sends a lot of money around the world. We send teams around the world to help people rebuild. Laodicea said, thanks, but we don't need it. We have all the resources we need, all the money, everything we need, we have, and they on their own completely rebuilt the city. That's how wealthy they were. And they were proud of that. They had a well-known medical school in Laodicea. There was a famous ophthalmologist who lived there. They produced a powder in that area that was shipped around the the, the region that was used in medicine and salve and lotions for people's eyes and, and lotion for their ears, and that brought more money to the economy. Had everything going for them. But that city and its citizens had one thing against them. One thing... That was not going for the minute. You, listen, you and I, we live in a great place. I mean, we, I love Rock Hill. I love this area. There's so many benefits from But Rock Hill's got one thing going against it. Dirt. We have the worst dirt on the planet. I mean, you can go an hour south, good dirt. You can go an hour north, good dirt. This is the only place I've ever lived in my life where if I want to plant a shrub or anything, I have to dig a hole, bring in new dirt, fill the hole, and then plant something, right? I mean, our dirt's like concrete. It's like rock. No wonder we're called Rock Hill. It's bad. Well, Laodicea had everything going for it, but it had one thing against it. It wasn't dirt. What they had against them, water. They had really 
bad, smelly, bad-tasting water. Now, many of you have never known anything but city water. But if you've had anything other than city water, you know that water, some water's good, some water's not. How many of you have ever tasted really bad water? You know, sulfur water, iron water. You know, iron water, it can smell like rotten eggs. It's just awful. And if you're not prepared for that, you drink it. And it's like when I took a sip of this room-temperature coffee a moment ago, you spit it out. Well, their water was terrible. It smelled bad, had a lot of mineral deposits. It tasted bad. Water was brought to Laosia via an, an, an aqueduct, and you see it there. That's, that's some of the archaeological remains. And there are places where, where that aqueduct is totally clogged because of the mineral deposits. That's how bad it was. Now, if you look north and south of Laodicea on the map, you'll see two other cities. Hierapolis, above it, and Colossae, below it. Colossae is where the Colossians lived that Paul wrote a letter to in the, in the New Testament, the book of Colossians. In Colossians, he mentions the believers in Laodicea. There was also a Christian church in Hierapolis at that time. Well, Hierapolis to the north was very famous for hot springs, hot water. It was a destination city where people would go to take hot baths to you know, bring some healing to their aching and sore bodies. Some of you remember that uh, President Franklin Roosevelt had paralysis because of polio. And for 20 years he would often visit, and he had a second White House in Warm Springs, Georgia. When President Roosevelt died, he was actually at Warm Springs, Georgia. He loved going there, and he would bathe in the hot springs. Hierapolis was famous for that. It had all these hot springs, this hot water, and, and, and it was a place of luxury, and, and, and people would go there just to experience that. And it's kind of like going to, you know, for a spa treatment. You know, you're going to go just pamper yourself for a day. And they were famous for that. Hot water. Hot coffee. Now, Colossae was located at the base of a, a mountain and had lots of springs fed with fresh, great-tasting cold water from that mountain. You can visit Colossae today, and those springs are still there, fed from the mountain. Fresh water, great-tasting water, cold water, lots of it. Iced coffee, iced tea, iced water. And you're working outside and it's hot and a cold drink is refreshing and renews you, right? It's wintertime, snow on the ground, chill in the air, warm yourself with a cup of hot coffee or hot chocolate or hot tea. And it's like God is saying to these believers in Laodicea, I wish you were the kind of disciples, the kind of believers, the kind of Christians who refresh people when they're thirsty and dry. I wish you were the kind of believers, the kind of followers who warm up hurting and lonely souls. I wish you were hot and help people. I wish you were cold and refresh people. What I don't like, God says, is when you're this. 
Because this helps nobody. Nobody likes this. McDonald's doesn't make millions selling room temperature coffee. They make millions selling hot coffee, cold coffee. And God says, when it comes to your walk with me and your passion for me, your service to me, make a difference. Be refreshing. Warn people. But stop being this cold, this, this, this room temperature, indifferent, just blah stuff that I don't even like, God says. That if I sip it, I just want to spit it out. God says, don't be, don't be that. What was it that made these Christians in Laodicea this instead of these? And a more important question, do we have any of this in us? Are we more like this? Am I? Are you? See, the problem with the Laodiceans was that they had lost their passion for Jesus and His purpose, His mission. The citizens of that city, as I said before, were wealthy, self-sufficient, had a sense of pride. They were saying, man, we've got it. We can handle it. We don't need anybody's assistance. We're good. We're okay. We're independent. And that had rubbed off on the members of the church because they were citizens of that same city. See, the truth is, if we're not careful, you and I can be so much like the culture in terms of our values and our priorities. And what the culture says is important, we can say is important if we're not careful. And what society gets passionate about, we can get passionate about. And suddenly, God, Jesus, the things of God, the purpose of God, the church of God, the ministry of God, suddenly, rather than being refreshing and warming, we're this. Because if we're going to be hot, it's about something else. If we're going to be cold, it's about something else. But when it comes to God and the things of God, too often we settle for this. That's what the Laodiceans had done. Look at verse 17, and you get a sense of it. Jesus says to them, you say, this is their attitude. When they looked in the mirror every morning, this is what they saw. They said, we're rich and wealthy, and we don't need anything. There are some of you in this room, when it comes to your spiritual life and your walk with Jesus Christ, you look in the mirror and you're satisfied. It's okay. I got what I need. I'm doing fine. When it comes to ministry, when it comes to impacting this world, you don't need anything. You can do it. You're good. You got it made. You got it covered. You have this sense of self-sufficiency. But then Jesus at the end of verse 17, said to them, but you don't know something. So you look in the mirror and you say, it's okay. 
Spiritually, it's okay. But there's something you don't know. What you don't know, he says in verse 17, is that when I look at you, I see you differently than you see yourself. You say to yourself, you're rich and wealthy and have need of nothing. You don't need to depend on God. You don't need the fullness of the Spirit of God. You don't need the anointing of God. You don't need the power of God. You don't need the will of God. You don't need the purpose of God. But when I look at you, he says, I see somebody who is actually poor. And that would have startled them. In fact, the Greek word translated poor in our English Bibles is a word that means a, a, a grinding poverty. He says, you, you look good and you think everything's okay, but when I look at you, what I see is somebody who in reality is in spiritual squalor. You have all this beautiful clothing produced from your textiles, but when I look at you, I see someone who's spiritually naked. You have the resources to do whatever you want to do pretty much in life. When I look at you, I see somebody who is not only poor, but I see somebody who is blind because you don't see what I see. You don't see things the way I see them. You don't see and care about the things that I look at and care about. You're blind, he says. Remember Jesus said, lift up your eyes. Remember this? Jesus said, lift up your eyes. And look out there at the harvest. Do you see it? It's already white under harvest. Most of us don't see it. Most of us don't lift up our eyes and look. And we don't have a passion for it. Yesterday we had the block party over at the uh, ATC Center here at Northwestern High School. And helping us were eight college students from Liberty University. I think they're in this service somewhere. Y'all in here somewhere? Wave at me. Holler at me. Where you at? Liberty students over here? Okay, kind of over in this area. They came down five-hour drive to help us with a block party and spent the weekend with us three guys sleeping at my house and five girls sleeping on air mattresses over here in the youth center. Would you thank them for helping us this weekend? Yeah. I got to hang out with them some, and one of the young ladies, and I hope I get this this accurate, it's a pre-med student, and shared with us that uh, her passion is to one day go to a country where women aren't treated as well as they should be and men aren't allowed to touch and do other things in public with them and therefore they receive little or no medical treatment and serving them is risky, but that's what she feels called to do. Another one majoring in English as a second language because she wants to spend her life in other cultures and other parts of the world teaching people English, but also using that as an opportunity to love people in Jesus' name and share the gospel. Young men preparing for ministry, to pastor, to do youth ministry, and I could go on with stories, but that's their hearts and dreams and passions, and they drove five hours just to spend this weekend with us and help us reach our city for Christ. 
You, you know what I call that? Passion. Being hot, being cold, bringing refreshment to people who need that refreshing because they're thirsty and dry, warming the heart and soul and life of somebody who aches and hurts and is empty and lonely. That's passion. That's what God says. I want you to be in this world for me. Stop being this. Because this doesn't help anybody. The Laodicean said, we don't need anything. We've got what we need. We're satisfied. We're okay. Do you look around and see empty chairs and pray that somebody sits in that chair next Sunday? What does room temperature Christianity, lukewarm discipleship look like in our lives? It means we, we don't care about that harvest is one thing. Yesterday at the block party, I had the opportunity to speak for a few moments to two single moms. And they were open and sharing with me about their life. And i got to tell you, it's hard being a single mom. It's really hard. And both of those young mothers in their 20s were seeking and they need a hot drink to heal some aches. They need a cold drink to refresh a thirsty soul. See, a Christian who is these cares about that. A Christian who is this doesn't care about that. That's one of the indications of lukewarmness. We don't care about this. We don't do anything about this. We don't know people who need what I'm talking about because we're this. We have no interest in getting to know people. A lukewarm Christian says, yeah, I know the neighbor on this side and that side, but I don't have any clue about the rest of my neighborhood and their spiritual condition. A lukewarm Christian says, I don't know anything about the spiritual needs of my friends or extended family because I don't see what Jesus sees. I don't look out there and see the harvest. I don't see the white. The, the, the fruit that's ready. I don't see the hurt and the need and the, those who are heavy laden, burdened down, and I, I just don't look because I don't look with the eyes of Christ because I'm self-sufficient. My focus is on what I see in the mirror. Signs of room temperature, lukewarm Christianity, as he says in this text, is we see ourselves one way, but God sees us a different way that we don't really realize our condition. We don't know that we're wretched and weak and poor and naked and blind. We think it's okay. We feel it's okay, but God says it's not. Lukewarm Christianity is very little interest or passion in serving. And so you seldom do anything in the name of Christ to serve. That's lukewarm room temperature Christianity. Little or no hunger for the Word of God. You don't have a passion and a hunger to, to feast upon God's truth and God's Word to feed your soul so you can be stronger as a disciple. Or if you're a preacher or a teacher, about the only time you read the Bible is to prepare a sermon or a lesson. 
and you don't ever get into the Word and read it and pray and say, God, this is not about a lesson. I don't want to prepare a lesson right now. God, I need you to talk to me. God, as I meditate on and pray over your Word, God, right now speak to my heart and my soul about the things of my life so that I can be the kind of follower you're calling me to be. God, speak to me today above everything else. A Christian who is hot or cold comes into this worship center on Sundays and one of your prayers is, God, today talk to me. Because I long to hear from you and I long to grow closer to you. I long to obey you. I long to be changed by you, God, today. Talk to me because that's the passion of your soul. A room temperature, lukewarm believer doesn't pray much. And on and on I could go. But see, here's the thing. Each of us in this room have been this at times in our life. Right? A lot of you, this is who you are today. And you need to become this or this. And stop being this. Today. See, here's the catch. God, God already knows which one you are. He already knows. And right now, God's trying to show you which one you are. Are you listening? See, that's the reason he ends in verse 22 by saying, if you have an ear, listen to what, hear what the Spirit is saying. God's trying to talk to you right now and show you which you are and then how you need to do things differently to change. God's trying to speak to you now. I strongly urge you to listen to what He's saying. So what is it we need to do? Well, look at verse 18. He said, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by the fire so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and I say I have to anoint your eyes so that you can see. And then remember in verse 19, those that I love, I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. God, God is saying you need to deal with your sin. And sin can be what we do, but sin is also what we don't do. Not, not doing those things that God's calling us to do is sin. Not having the passion that He calls for us to have is sin. Not seeing what He sees is sin. Not being concerned about this world that he died for is sin. When gold is heated to an extremely high temperature, the impurities rise to the top and they're scraped off. And what remains is pure gold. God is saying you need to deal with the impurities, the sin in your life. Get rid of it. Confess it. Repent of it. Turn from it. And then be dressed in white garments because even though you can afford a lot of stuff, he said, when I look at you, I see someone who is spiritually naked because of that sin and that indifference and lack of passion. And I want you to repent and be forgiven so that I can then dress you in the white clothing of righteousness and forgiveness. And put some lotion and salve on your eyes so that you can see. You need to start looking at this world the way I look at it. 
You need to start seeing this world through the prism of the mission that I've given this church and I've given to you in life. Start looking at things the way I look at them, he's saying. And remember, you're my children. I love you. But like any good parent, if you don't listen to me and you stop being and you continue to be so independent that you rebel and, and, and you don't pay attention. He said, I, I love you. You're my child. But when I love and you're my child, if you disobey, I discipline. He gets out the belt. When Monisa and I celebrated her 20th anniversary 11 years ago, I took her to Hawaii. We happened to be there on Easter Sunday. So that afternoon, we visited Pearl Harbor. I could not go to Hawaii and not go to Pearl Harbor. And we stood on the memorial that straddles the Arizona with those soldiers, those sailors, entombed beneath the water. And there's a wall with all their names inscribed on it. And I remember how moving it was to stand there, particularly on Easter when we celebrate the resurrection of the dead, and looking at these names who had died in the service of this country. And it was moving. It was just moving. There was a, a sailor at Pearl Harbor when the Japanese attacked by the name of Roy Robertson. That uh, Saturday evening, he left his ship and was involved in a Bible study with about 15 other sailors. He describes it this way. He says they were sitting in a circle on the floor, and the leader asked each of them to recite their favorite Bible verse and explain why it was their favorite. Now, he said, I'd been in church all my life. I grew up going to church three times a week but I couldn't think of a single Bible verse. I didn't know any. And he was petrified. And so as they took turns quoting the verse and making some brief comments, he just, he just kept working his mind trying to think of a verse, think of a verse, think of a verse, think of a verse. And all of a sudden, John 3.16 came to him. I mean, practically everybody who goes to church knows John 3.16. And he kept reciting it, practicing it, getting ready for his turn. And it was the cir- they were moving around the circle. And the guy sitting right beside him quoted John 3.16. And he thought to himself, he stole my verse. He got back to the ship, went to bed that night. And said to himself, Robertson, you're a fake. 7.55 that Sunday morning, he was awakened by the alarm on his ship calling all the sailors to battle stations as the Japanese were attacking. And he ran to his station. He was part of a, of, of a crew that operated a machine gun on the West Virginia. The problem was the only ammunition they had at that machine gun were blanks used in practice. And for the first 15 minutes of that two-hour battle, they fired blanks just hoping it would scare off some Japanese plane. 
And here he is. Bombs are falling. There's torpedoes. Ships are blowing up. Smoke, oil, men screaming, dying. Planes zooming overhead. And he's firing blanks into the air. And he says to himself, God, if you let me get out of this, if I live through this, I promise you I'm going to start taking my faith with you seriously. Roy Robertson did live. That experience in which he thought to himself, Robertson, this is your whole life, just firing blanks for Christ. Years ago, after he rededicated his life to Christ, worked with Dawson Trotman to found Navigators, which has blessed millions of college students over the years around the world. Some of you are like the soldiers sitting in that circle and just don't know much. You're like Roy Robertson at that machine gun and the battle's going on, the world's falling apart, people are dying and going to hell and you're shooting blanks. You're not hitting anybody. You're not hot coffee that warms a cold body. You're not cold coffee that quenches the thirst of a thirsty person. You're not... You're not being used in the name of Jesus to impact people, to make a difference in this community, to make a difference in this world. You're just this middle one. You're just here. And God says, I have so much for you, so much that's better, better, better than just being in the middle room temperature and lukewarm, that that I can use you to help people, to change people, to bless people, to make a difference in people's lives. And, And the beautiful thing is when you're doing that, you have more fun because I tell you what, it's a whole lot more fun for me in the morning to drink this. Mm, that's good. Than this. And when you live in the will of God, when you live in the purpose of God, when you live with passion for Christ, not only does God use you more, you're happier. You're happier. But when you're this, God can't do much with you. And when you're this, your life is not nearly as happy as it will be when you become one of these. Thing is, God's talking to you, but which one you become is your choice. How you live your life is your choice. Your choice. And so he says, you ear, hear well. And obey. Be zealous. What did he say? Be zealous and repent. Remember, Jesus is standing at the door knocking. That's not a verse for lost people. That's a verse for saved people. He's standing at the door knocking. Because in a very real sense, many of us who are Christians, we keep him outside. And he's saying, let me in. Let's stand. And after this prayer, I'm going to encourage you to let Christ into the very center of your life, into the heart and soul of your life. Open the door and let Him in. Invite Him to give you passion. 
invite him to forgive you for the lack of passion. To make your way to this altar and get on your knees here and talk to God. Talk to God about, the, about whatever it is he's saying to you right now. There are some of you in this church who you need to be baptized as a new believer. Some of you need to join this church. There's men and women, teenagers here. You need to give your heart and life to Christ and be saved. And Jamie and I and others are here, counselors are here. We're, we're inviting you to come and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. So you come. Just step out when we sing and make your way to the front. People here will be glad you did. But we're also asking all of us who are believers to respond to what God's saying to us about whether we're hot or cold or just lukewarm. And if the Spirit of God is moving you to get on your face before Him at this altar and repent or seek Him and pour your soul out to Him, don't you dare stay where you are. You run down here. You run down here and get on your knees and face before God. Let Him stir the passion of your heart. Father, all over this room are men and women and young people who need to make decisions. And I pray right now that you help them, help them obey you. Help them. Give them the courage, the faith, and the boldness to step out and do what you're asking them to do right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.